this is the thing that the church seems to be resisting. They know that these are the times, and I think there's a, a general consensus, but they're afraid to embrace that by faith. And therefore, when you do that, that's why Jesus said, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? Well, if there's unbelief that these are the end time, and you're still holding on to your lifestyle, your riches, whatever, as if you're gonna live for forever, he says, I can't give you revelation about what's gonna happen because you're holding on to something I'm, I'm not rewarding. Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, where we, every time, we are warning the nation. We are warning America from a biblical perspective about things that are going on, both within the church, outside the church, that influences us as Christians and so forth, and what God wants to do with us. So there's always the warning piece, but today, I think even stronger, is going to be the responding in faith Peace. So there's going to be both warning and, as always, responding in faith. Practically, what do we do? And today's topic is, is the church in danger. i got to unpack that here in just a moment. But first, uh, I want to welcome Gary Crawford, uh, who um, has been on with us before on Insights. And uh, Gary is the director of Galatians 6-2, as well as helps coordinate a lot of ministry leaders on different initiatives. And... Uh, and Gary also just really flies at a high altitude. So welcome, Gary. Thank you, David. It's always good to be here and to hang with you. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for the welcome. Awesome. Well, let's jump in here. And is America in danger? Uh, I, I'm not America. Well, we could talk about that some other time. But is the church in danger? And I really believe it is. Um, and let me backtrack. Now, we could, we could quote various surveys, and I'll quote one in here in a moment. But that's actually not what I'm getting at. So the first week of October, I was on a ministry trip in California. And right when I woke up in the morning, right there, I felt like the Lord just deeply uh, impressed on me that the church is in danger. And as I sought the Lord about this and was seeking Him, it was not the answer that I expected. It's not what we typically get from a survey or whatever, although those, those can be helpful. It was... Um, it was that the church is not following him, like as a person. So the disciples, obviously, Jesus called them and said, follow me, and it wasn't just follow me when things were new and exciting and Jesus was on earth and doing all these miracles, but it was follow me now and the rest of your life. And obviously, that's what the church is called to do. We are called to follow him as individual Christians. We come together as the body of Christ. We're to follow him um, as the church, as the body of Christ. And so um, that is what the primary warning is today on this podcast. And, and Gary, just speak to that, or if you just want to jump in a little bit and start talking about what would it look like if we're following him in contrast to not following him, which was the, the warning that I felt like uh, the, the Lord gave me. Uh, speak, speak to that. Um. Yeah, I think I think when we say follow him, that you're exactly correct. But follow him means that you know. Often, remember when uh, Peter and and the disciples went back to fishing after Jesus' crucifixion. And I think there's a where we're having a problem right now is the church kind of wants to go back to what it was doing prior to COVID. Hmm. Um, COVID's not the problem or the thing; it's the event that's going on that. The Lord is using, I don't believe he caused it, but the Lord is using it to shift uh, 
and to make us re-examine what we have been doing to follow him. And I think that some of the things that we've done in the past, we've, tend to, we've tended to cling to. And the Lord is getting, I think, um, I won't say impatient, but he's certainly becoming louder with his groanings that the church would follow him in this hour. And it won't look like we, the way we followed him in the last hour. And I think that's really where the angst is occurring. I find that many Christians are unsure about how to move forward in these times. And yet, What's, what's interesting and what's actually good, there's a general recognition within the Christian community that things are changing and different. And that's not just in America. This is going on around the world. Mm-hmm. So globally, there are movements and events that would make life as we used to live it extremely different. And I don't think that the church knows how to grapple with the change into the different that's now occurring. Mm-hmm. And so... I know that, uh, I don't know if I shared this on this show, but I remember on Good Friday this year, I was with the Lord and praying, and the Lord said, my church is like the ship that's stuck in the Suez Canal. That was the same week, if you recall, that the ship got stuck, and it blocked the traffic of the comings and goings, and he said, the church is try- cannot turn around. The church thinks it can turn around, and that ship the wind blew it actually and made it stick. But he said the church still thinks it can go back. And as COVID either diminishes or other things, that they're going to go back to the way they were prior to this. It's not going to happen. Hmm. There's world events that are moving that are beyond America. And that's the thing is, is that we are concerned in America for things. But we've got to get our eyes on what God is doing globally. Then we can follow him to the point of your question. In other words, I have to begin to shift my life and thinking to align with what God is doing globally. And the church has really struggled with that. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I, you know, there's a lot of voices saying a lot of different things. Uh, Sometimes we, we go back to, oh, we're going to, things are going to come back. We're going to, you know, God's going to recover the nation and this and that. But I don't think in the light of what we're seeing in world events that the church has repositioned itself to say we can't go this way anymore, that we've got to change direction and to begin to move my mindset of the way I live life. Now, does that mean, well, we're not going to work anymore? No, that's not, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but um, we can maybe get into some practical examples of what I'm seeing. But I, for me personally, what it's been is I have to, I've had to personally shift as I spend time with the Lord my thinking said, Lord, I want to align myself with you. I want to begin to be in tune with what your spirit is saying to me so that I can follow you. Um, and um, unfortunately, in our society, with the level of information that is poured at us, there's lots of voices. And so I, I, I've had to kind of not listen to some stuff and sequester myself and say, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need clarity from your spirit. Um, to listen and to move to the left or the right or forward or stop or or whatever that may be. And I think he's begun to speak in that capacity. I mean, I've begun to listen at a different level. Um, And the other thing I've realized too is in this hour, he's not going to give you, well, this is what you're going to be doing for the next five years or the next three years. The steps have become much shorter. You know, Americans like to do long-term planning and say, well, we're going to be going here. We're going to do this. We're going to do mission trips. I'm going to plan my sermons out for all next year. 
And I hear the Lord saying, no, 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 no. You're going to have to slow down and begin to listen to me because I may say, go over here today. I may say, go over there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a much different kind of walk, um, at least in America, that we've had the freedom to do. Um, and I think there's some anxiousness or some discomfort because the church, you know, the church doesn't like the mandate thing that's going on. I'll use that as an example. They don't, in America, we don't like to be told what to do. And for Christians, we have to be careful that we haven't assumed we can do what we want without getting God's permission to do it. <laughs> and to follow God now, you really, we, I, us, we really need to be hearing what Lord is telling me to do. Don't be afraid to say no to something you don't feel the Lord telling you to get involved with. And, and you know, that really sticks out um, in the Gospels as the disciples are following him, Jesus. Uh, there's the unexpected that happens over and over and over. It happens right in the moment, and you have to be walking in faith. And I think, uh, Gary, your admonition here is well um, timely, um, um, well stated, that, that are we saying when we get up in the morning, and here we are being very practical, when we get up in the morning, we're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What's on your heart today? Uh, and and being disciples that are malleable in his hands. The Lord, even towards the cross, continued to move forward. But you know what? He stayed in in touch with his Father. Everything was about his Father. Everything was about going to him. Even the Gethsemane was fun. He wasn't rebuking Satan. He was going to his Father. He knew who was in charge of the global and the events that were called upon him in his life. And he stayed there, not looking at world events, the Romans, the, the religious side of the Jewish community, the whatever, well, not even Satan. He was contending with his father for what he was required to do and for the provision that his father would give him, the morsel from the word, the encouragement from the spirit, the release of angels to strengthen him. Everything was tied to what he knew was the ultimate authority in the events that were unfolding. Yeah, and also he was believing him for the power from on high to, to do the miraculous ministry that he modeled, and he was inviting his disciples to do as well as us today. And so there, there's all that dependency, and I think you can't talk about this, Gary, without highlighting when Jesus said that I do nothing except for what the Father shows me. Can the church today, can we say that? Again, being very practical, can church leadership even listening to this podcast, can you say that you do nothing except for what the Father is showing you to do and leading you to do specifically? And, you know, I'm just greatly burdened because um, I know so many churches today can put on a, an enthusiastic worship service, an exciting, um, exciting uh, Sunday morning gathering, and it's it's basically programmed. It's basically, we'll do this, then we'll do this, we'll do this. There's not a sense of, of following uh, the Lord right in the moment, and what, what does he want? And just uh, on another ministry trip to Wisconsin just um, a few weeks ago, you know, we just really dialed in with the Lord. This group of people is within a Friday night, and we just really dialed in and sought him, and he came and, and brought conviction upon our hearts, and we found ourselves spontaneously, key word, spontaneously humbling ourselves and confessing our sins publicly and seeking God, and then the changed lives were enormous, amazing, and uh, I, I think that, you know, there's a real 
uh, foundational shift that the Lord is, call, is calling the American church into. Gary, in the past, I've heard you many times talk about new wineskins, and let's not try to fill the old wineskins, and in that whole uh, uh, teaching that Jesus gave. So anyway, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. I, I do want to highlight one thing, just taking a step back. This was interesting to me that when I felt the Lord strongly um, uh, impressing me that the church is in danger, again, at the beginning of October, but this group in California, they were doing a new wineskin. They were in a community that I observed and participated with him, with them while I was there. And they said, you know, we're not ha here to have you or anybody minister to us. You're here to minister with us. And every person was involved in the, uh, in the, you could call it a church service, you could call it a Jesus gathering as they do, but it's totally a new wineskin. And the power presence of God was, uh, let's just say the spiritual temperature in the room, it was much higher than anything that I typically experience. And it was a, a seeking of God in the moment. And it was a, a emphasis on God's people being together, really loving each other, really believing God together. So I want to say a couple of things, because you're right. It, Jesus said, I only did what I saw my father, but to say that and to do it, I find for myself is two different things. And here's a, here's a key verse in 1 John chapter 2, um, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself to also walk as he walked. So it is possible for us to only do what we see the Father do and to speak what we see the Father if we're abiding in him. But that's the key word. And in the American life, it's very easy to, for me and I'm sure others have experienced it, it's very easy to drift back into what I can do because we have so many freedoms here that I find myself not asking God what he's doing or what he wants me to say. I'm out there on the end of the diving board by myself saying, watch me jump into this. And so it, this is sometimes, there's this, the, the, one of the greatest urgencies for the church right now is to begin to practice this and move into a place because you have to keep your steps very, very short. Um, you know, it says in the scriptures in Galatians that when you, if you're filled with the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh and all the other things. So, but I've always often asked myself, okay, Lord, if I'm not patient, if I'm not kind, if I'm not whatever, I'm saying, where did I start walking, stop walking in the fullness of the spirit? And so I try and use those as alert buttons for myself to say, wait a minute, I've, I'm not full of the spirit right now. I need to go to the men's room and sit and talk to God, or I need to, to move myself. Keep in mind, like keep people like Daniel in the midst of a difficult, he's three times a day, he's going up to speak to the Lord and towards Jerusalem and pray. And those people knew he had that as a habit in his life and they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I'm, and I don't want to, I don't want to set up a religious moment, but I, I'm trying to cultivate that, that as we go, we ought to be moment by moment in the spirit with the God. And I'm telling you, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm trying to practice it. Maybe that's the old brother Lawrence practicing the presence of Christ thing, mm -hmm. but that's going to be imperative in this hour. Um, and Amen. I can't, I can't do much about what the churches do and nor do I even want to try. That's to me, Jesus, that's your problem. Um, <clears throat> but I can't use that as an excuse not to do it myself. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing to, that I, because worship is not what I go sing so you can hear me. Worship is what's coming out of my heart towards my father. 
That's between me and him. That's worship. And often we do gather, to your point, and we're singing songs to each other and not to, not always, but to him instead of to him. And so I look for the joy that should be in my heart, whether I'm working, walking, exercising, being with family, in the throes of ministry, and trying to examine that because even when we set ourselves up with a project, ministry can become a hindrance to intimacy with God because I'm dogmatic that my ministry is so important and I got to do this thing so strongly that all of a sudden I'm doing it out of my flesh. And so I'm talking about something here that's got to be cultivated. It's got to be, and I think that's part of what it talks about. There was five of the virgins who filled their flasks. It says all 10 of them got up. They were all 10 asleep, but only five filled their flasks so that they had oil for the time, the trip ahead. And, and so, Gary, I, you know, Gary, as you've said many times, as we look at that passage with the ten virgins and the overall second coming of Jesus, the bride must make herself ready. And if we don't have that inner life that you're talking about, um, the love, the joy, the peace, uh, there, there's something where we haven't made ourselves ready. That's a now message in light of Jesus coming back. And we've talked already about a few global things. Whenever global things are going on, you should lift up your eyes for your d- redemption draweth nigh, meaning meaning that that we're seeing things happen globally here, um, not only the pandemic, but of course, including the pandemic. But there's stuff going on here that we should be thinking about. Are we ready? Are we like the five virgins that had full flasks of oil? Are we walking in the power and presence of Christ and um, and so, therefore, also in a position where we can pour out to others. And I, I want to um, go in, in in an additional direction to this whole, whole area that you're you're describing. Um, uh, before I do, I just want to ex- put an exclamation point on this in terms of Romans fourteen seventeen. Paul talks about the kingdom of God that the the indicators of the kingdom of God in terms of our lives in the body of Christ should be righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness that we are clearly not like the culture. We are clearly in contrast to the the, the dominion of darkness and the the, the fleshly. Uh, lifestyles that are all all around us, and, and, and peace, peace even when there is a pandemic going on or other challenges come our way, and then uh, enjoy, like you were highlighting as well, joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, now the next area I want to go is, can the church today, can we say that we've really truly emphasized holiness, and this would have to do with a hunger of holiness in our lives as uh, individual Christians, but also corporately as a church, are we moving into a greater and greater holiness? Now, this could be a long teaching, but but just to to give a bi- quick biblical underpinning or two is in First Peter one. Peter is quoting Leviticus, and he says to to uh, his readers of that epistle, God says, "Be holy, for I am holy." And in Ephesians four, Paul uh, talks uh, about this, uh, take off the old self, put on the new self, and it says to be in true righteousness and holiness. Is there a hunger in our hearts? Are we even talking about this in the church today in America? Um, that God has an expectation that his people, now, now, now I hope everybody can get this, but that his people will remove everything from their lives that are actually blocking or hindering our relationship with Jesus, because we want to follow 
him. That was the whole admonition the Lord gave me. We're not following him. Now, when we allow stuff in our life, it's both toxic to our own lives. It's not bringing the life of Christ into others around us. But also, it's um, it's just clearly uh, um, n- not the way that God wants us to live. Because it, to experience the righteousness, peace, and joy, you're taking holiness seriously. There should be a stirring in every Christian, a hunger, a, a desire for God's presence. Now, when I believe when the, the disciples were following him— that they were around this guy going, wow, is this attractive? This holy life, there's like no sin. There's no nothing destructive in him. There's no toxicity. This is awesome. It's freedom. It's righteousness. It's peace. It's joy. And I believe that, we, that that is a seriously um, vital message in this day and hour. It is. The thing I would probably add to it, it's a two-winged approach. I mean, you— you said or testified a few minutes ago that you were at a meeting and the presence of the Lord was kind of there and people began to confess. When you get close to God, you begin to confess things that you know um, that maybe you've been holding on to. I think one of the greater problems I see today with the church, which does involve holiness, is it says if you see the good you're supposed to do and you don't do it, that's sin also. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are talking about the end times, but they're not embracing the things they're supposed to be doing during the end times. In other words, the, the white robes in Revelation were the righteous acts of the saints, which means if you abandon the things that God is calling us to do, it would be like Peter going back and going fishing. And Jesus had to come say, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You can't go back to that life. You've got to move forward to this. And part of holiness and righteousness is to move in the will of God, because that's who he's looking for. His eyes search to and fro throughout the whole earth to see whose heart is wholly his, that he might show himself strong on their behalf. He's looking for a people that are committed to do what he wants them to do. And I, to be, Dave, there is a bigger problem right now. The church still wants to do what it wants to do. And that's the repentance that's needed, is they're not willing to, I mean, if they're going out and getting drunk and doing things that are specifically in Scripture, get over it and get out of it. And if you're willfully doing that stuff, then you're probably not even a Christian. So you better be examining the Scriptures in yourself. But the people who know the Lord, and then when the Spirit is urging you to go over here, that's as detrimental to the whole your holiness as that other crap. So... this is the thing that the church seems to be resisting. They know that these are the times, and I think there's a a general consensus, but they're afraid to embrace that by faith, and therefore, when you do that, that's why Jesus said, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? Well, if there's unbelief that these are the end times, and you're still holding on to your lifestyle, your riches, whatever, as if you're going to live for forever, he says, I can't give you revelation about what's going to happen because you're holding on to something I'm not, I'm not rewarding or, or I want you to at this point. Okay, Gary, That's, I want to, I want to so bring a couple ahead. things together here. I'm sorry, did you have something else first? No. Okay. No, go ahead. I want to bring a couple things together in light of what you're just say, saying, but also in the intro comments, I said I wanted to share about a recent survey. And, and, and here's my point is that, yeah, we can look at surveys that shows that the church is in danger. And I'll give the specific example here in a moment. But it's both that we're off track in some key doctrinal areas, you might might say, uh, scriptural underpinnings to our faith would be another way to say it. Um, 
and this idea of following him. And it's it's not one or the other. It's it's both of these that have to come together uh, in order for the body of Christ, the Church, to follow him in this way that, that we're talking about, about today. So in this survey, it was done, it came out in Maine, it was done by George Barna and the Family Research Council, and it brought forth that 51% of Americans um, believe that they have a biblical worldview. But when they asked further questions, it became apparent to, to Barna and the others that were doing the survey that it's actually 6% of Americans that actually have a biblical worldview. And it, it, was, it was doctrinal-related stuff, meaning that many of the people that claim to have a biblical worldview were also open to uh, the idea of reincarnation after, after you die, specifically not taught in the Bible all over the place. Hebrews 9.27 comes, comes to mind. Okay, um, other things, though, too, like we, we actually have this, this uh, uh, flesh sin problem, uh, the sinful nature that Jesus died for, and he's the only way to have our sins forgiven. Uh, a large percentage of that, 51%, didn't believe in that either. So it's like, what are we talking about here when we have uh, various people? So there, there's this track that, that, again, being very practical, we have to make sure the people that we're ministering to on Sunday morning, and I would like to change that to what I said a few minutes ago, ministering alongside, and they have the participation in our services as well. But... Uh, we have to make sure we know we're on strong footing with the written Word of God. We have to make sure sure of that. But that doesn't guarantee that we're now following Him in the moment. It's, it's required. We can, we can do doctrine. First Peter says, watch your, your life in doctrine closely. I'm sorry, First Timothy says that a couple times. But the point is, is we need both, and practically we've got to make sure that, the, that, that these the biblical foundation is being laid. Secondly, we have to make sure now we've moved into this life in Christ, what we've been talking about here. Another way we might say it is the streams of living water that Jesus talked about. Another way of saying it is the anointing of God is upon us, the leading of God, as you have really been highlighting, Gary, today. So it's all of this together. If we don't do both, we are in danger. Yeah, um, you know, it says if you're at a place where you're believing, you just quoted some things that people are in the survey are believing, and I grieve for them. Um, Peter says, crave the pure milk of the word that you may grow therein. Um, and if you're naive enough to believe that that stuff's not in the scripture, or you're lazy enough to not go look in the scriptures to see if what you think is true, shame on you. Hmm. Um, and if you think you've got uh, if believers think that they've got time to become Bible scholars, they are sadly mistaken. Get in the Word and start chewing on it, and, and the Spirit will churn up revelation for you for the hour and the pieces that you need for what's coming. Um, this, is, this is not a long road opportunity. <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest with you, I work with people and, and where they're working on even how to do their wealth. I said, if you're in debt, get out. Don't save for college for your kids, pay down on your debt because your kids may not be going to college. And the best thing you can do is get out of unattached from organizational structures that can hold you hostage, which is coming out of Babylon in the Babylonian system, which is basically a, a corrupt infrastructure uh, that is motivated by greed and fear, which is obviously not God. And can, so, I, can I just say that ahead. that infrastructure 
it is so tantalizing to Christians because it offers answers to real-world problems. Um, Like you're saying, one of them is, hey, I— I want to send my kid to college, and let's go into debt. That's just what the world does. But there's many other things that are part of this Babylonian system. God is calling us, if we are going to be the bride that makes herself ready, God is calling us to get out of Babylon and not to trust the Babylonian structures. Yeah, but ceasing to believe that, I mean, I'm 69. I was raised uh, with those things and did that I could and I'm not going to go through things that the Lord showed me as as I unhinged myself from that and then I had to do it and then Ann and I my wife had that we have to grapple because it's when you're in a household when you're married you now have two people and so it's coming into unity and the body of Christ um it's when you're in unity is where God says he can command a blessing and then in a household uh uh, in a community, in a church, et cetera. And so um, that's going to be very important in this hour. And it's going to look a little different for everybody. It doesn't mean, and by the way, I just want to make sure people understand. I'm not saying that getting an education is a bad thing. I'm saying you've got to prioritize your thinking, given the fact that we're in the last days, not that your kids may not get there. I'm not setting dates and times, but it is a higher priority, in my opinion, from a financial standpoint, to get out of attachment to Babylonian structures, which are corrupt, than it is to worry about putting savings out here. Anytime you can, even a financial person will tell you, anytime you can reduce, you're paying more for the debt that you're incurring than you are getting on savings right now. Mm. Go reduce the debt. That That's less money going out the front door. Okay, so Gary, I'm uh, concerned, um, as we just highlighted here in terms of of in the body of Christ, where are we in terms of trusting God with our personal finances and how we're operating? There's clear scriptural um, guidelines on this. Um, you know, I, I, I think of of Jesus as you can't serve both God and mammon because you will hate one or the other. It's not like you can kind of slide these two together um, somehow— um, and it'll be okay, or 75% God, 25% money. It's like, no, you will end up hating God. It's so strong in how Jesus brings that. But I'm also concerned in terms of, um, are we uh, corporately within our local churches? Are we making decisions, not with Jesus as the head, as Colossians 1 talks about, but our church budgets are the head, and that is where we're uh, deciding what we will and won't do, what we will or won't preach on, what we... Uh, how we will engage the culture, our, meaning our, our local communities, how we will choose to engage them or not, uh, because we've got to keep everything running, and the finances can actually uh, begin to dictate uh, what we're doing. And if that's true, then once again, the church is in danger. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I had a meeting with a pastor this week that was talking about uh, the reduction in their congregation that they were going to cut people. I said, I said, well, I asked him, I said, so are you telling me that there's a lack of funding in heaven? Is, is God ever concerned <laughs> about money? And he said, no. I said, okay, well, we can say that intellectually and verbally. So if he's not, and there is no lack since he owns everything, maybe there's a position of alignment that's not right. Have you considered your vision? I have, it's been my experience that when budgets are not there or met, I'm not in line with what God's calling me to do. And therefore, rather than calling from past the plate 150 times, 
I'm saying we need to get on our knees and find out how God wants to align our vision. I mean, if Jesus, when the moment arose, can go find a coin and a fish or this over here or whatever he needs, right. I'm not lacking provision. That The American mindset is I can only do that. A couple of things are coming down the pike that's really going to hit home. Um, who knows how long the 501c3 and the, the tax deductibility, when that's wiped out, will Christians stop giving because they don't have a tax deduction? Hmm. That'd be is revealing. They, it, oh, it's going to reveal a lot of hearts. I mean, because... And, and the way we, you're right, we have absorbed the world's techniques when we ought to be an example of what it's like. I mean, if I recall the church 2,000 years ago, and I think that was the birth of the church, we ought to be 2,000 years more mature. You would think that we'd be turning the world upside down. How is it these Christians are giving what they have, helping one another, and it said in, in the Acts that they had favor with all the people, even the ones who weren't part of the church. And remember, they, remember in Acts 3, when Peter says, when he, there's the layman and he's about to be healed, and Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I have none, but what I do have, I command you to get up and walk in Jesus' name. It's just this financial thing is, was not a concern in Jesus' ministry or um, in the, the book of Acts, the first century church. And we have got to repent of this if we are making those kinds of decisions based on being financially secure. I agree. I mean, I'm taking the principles of the kingdom into places that are secular and saying, I, I use the term, what I do with them, as I said, you know, there's a great term in the, in the Bible where God asked Moses, what's, what's that you have in your hand? And I, when I go into places, I'll say, what is it you have in your hand? In other words, you work from the point of what's there because God has already put things in people's places. If you have two fishes, if you have a loaf, you work from what God has already positioned there. He can multiply food. He can raise people from the dead. He can multiply the finances. But it's bringing ourselves in the alignment with what God wants to do. And for us as the body of Christ, the household of faith, we ought to be doing that as an example to the world. And what we've done is taken their example and we've implemented it into our system. You've got to rediscover the upside down kingdom. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> We don't have lack. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says not half of the things. And so, yeah, I don't know where that teaching and they ought to put up people away who are teaching that stuff because it's nothing but crap. But um, but people got to stop listening to it, too, and believing it, because if you believe that. You won't be able to put your faith in the things that are from the kingdom because of your unbelief about the kingdom. And that's a big deal. So specifically, for a practical takeaway today, realize we all have got to discern the ways that we are into this worldly system, even within the church, and how we're handling our finances and making decisions and so forth, and get into, I think, what you just called the upside-down kingdom, and really where that doesn't work in, in Jesus' kingdom, and that we do kingdom his way rather than what actually uh, the alternative is to do to do life our way or to have our own dominion or, uh, you know. Especially in America. Right, right. And it's such an alluring thing here in America because there's so much money that flows. When you don't have it, it's not going to be front and center. But still, God is calling us, again, very practically, he's calling us to repent of these things. How tomorrow, or I should say even today, how will we do ministry different? And Gary, one thing I've appreciated about you in this very area is that you have a life message 
in trusting God and doing this God's way as it relates to your personal life and ministry life in terms of finances. I think um, you're well aware here in Forerunners of America that we're always saying so many unpopular things. I had to die to this a long time ago. It's like, I don't know if anybody wants to support this ministry. It doesn't matter. I've got to say the truth. I've got to help people. Um, whether they want to be helped or not, we have to say the truth as unpopular as it's going to be. And, um, you know, if if Forerunners closes the door because the finances aren't there, that's fine. I mean, I actually— uh, having more of that profit role, uh, it's actually kind of a hassle in my life. <laughs> and so if no finances come in, uh, we close the doors on Forerunners of America. I've died to that a long time ago. It's How many not, meals have you missed, Dave? Zero. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isn't that amazing of how he provided amazingly, even as we give the, the these kinds of uh, uh, strong messages? So, Gary... You're going to get the final word here today. You have a little—I shouldn't say little—you you have a significant teaching. I meant little in the sense that it's short. But you have a significant teaching on something you call Red Right Return. Can you close out our podcast with that? For those of you who don't know, internationally, in the, in, as, that's a navigation term that when you get into channel markers where you have to stay in the channel to navigate your boat— the red markers are always to be kept on your right-hand side. That way you know that you're in the channel. The green ones are on your left, the red ones on the right. But when you're returning into port, the red is on the right. And so all of these boats are coming in from the Gulf, but when as soon as they get towards the close to the channels, they start to slow down because they realize that in the channel markers, you can't go at high speed because you could come out of the channel and run aground. And the Lord said to me, the gospel that left Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is getting ready to return, and the church needs to understand that you're going to be in these channels now, and you need to navigate, you need to slow down, you need to understand where your markers are, because if you don't, you will run aground, and if anybody's familiar with channels, they go this way, and they go this way, and then they go this way. You can't cheat and go from this red marker to that one if the if the channel says go over to this one first because this is shallow area and you'll run aground. Hmm. That's the thing the church has got to recognize right now. We are in areas where we can't do like we did for 2,000 years. We were released to go into all the nations at that point 2,000 years ago. That has basically been accomplished. Now we're coming back to Jerusalem because we're seeing the Jews who are part of being regrafted in for our benefit and a blessing, that's a different time and season of what's occurring, which is why people have seen Aliyah going on since the late 1800s and the movement back to Israel, Israel becomes a nation, yada, yada, yada. But we, I look for markers. I've gotten two of them this year. I'm not going to them in this thing, but I actually noodle, noodle in my thing when the Lord shows me a marker. And so I'm trying to stay and keep the red ones on the right side and go slow enough to say, where's the next marker? And what he does is when you get to this marker, he will tell you what to do to get to the next marker. And when you get to that one, he'll tell you what to do to get to the next marker. And this is what I meant earlier when we were talking about shorten your steps, mm. keep yourself in line with what he's calling. It's different, a little different for each one of us. Find other brothers who and sisters who know that we're in this hour and we need to keep the right red return markers in sight for each one of us so that we know which way we're going in this process. Awesome ending. We need to follow him. He's our leader in the red right return, and we're not going to run aground if we're 
following him. So anyway, um, I, uh, I thank you, Gary, and we'll have you on again here, here soon. Always a blessing to hang with you. You all be blessed. And everybody, of course, you know you can subscribe at YouTube, but I want to say something else. If you want to get all of our Forerunners of America input, you can go to forerunnersofamerica.org, click on Connect, and then if you put your email there, you'll also get some other really important stuff. Probably roughly once a week you'll get something, whether it's a podcast like this or what I'm going to highlight here is some articles that Timothy Zebel has written. Super important stuff going on right now with with court cases that have gotten to the Supreme Court, and there's oral arguments on one of them that starts on December 1st. So um, uh, we'll uh, we'll get you uh, whatever Forerunners of America is putting out, including um, apologetics information, the defense of the faith from Than Christopoulos. So if you want to, uh, you can just simply uh, sign up at forerunnersofamerica.org, click connect, and put your email there. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, follow him.